Hello listeners, this is Lee Price. This is Will Ford from Football365. And you're listening, smartly, to At, At The, the Bridge, Bridge Pod, Pod, a Chelsea, Chelsea FC podcast. podcast, although I would describe it as THE Chelsea FC Podcast. What's up everyone, you're listening to At The Bridge Pod, a Chelsea FC podcast, your number one source for all things Chelsea. This week we are talking alternative strikers that we could sign instead of Haaland and Lukaku, the latest transfer gossip, and an incredible interview with first-time finishers Tom Underhill, where he gave us some expert insight into Chelsea target and the next superstar out of France, Aurelian Chouameni. Now here are your hosts all the way from the UK, Mikey Berth and Chris. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of At The Bridge Pod. I'm your host, Mikey, and I'm joined, as always, by my two, yes, two co-hosts. You can count both of them. It's the return of the birth. And Chris, how are we doing, guys? Yes, I'm glad to be back. Sorry that I let you down last week. I, unfortunately, I was tied up with a lot of things, but I it's think, good to I be back. I think you should share why you were, uh, you, what you chose over us. Um, so I may be moving house <laughs> currently, and I was just tied up doing that. I was moving a lot of furniture around, and unfortunately... I, I had a bed delivered and a big clash of the podcast. I know I should have chosen a podcast first, but Black unfortunately, furniture won the day. Unfortunately, I do need somewhere to sleep, so <laughs> that had to take uh, priority. But it's good to be back. Good to see you two. Well, not see you two, but hear you two. How are you doing, Chris? And how are you doing, Mikey? I'm good. Uh, pretty quiet week for me this week. A little bit of work, but not too much. That's the way you like it, isn't it? So that is, that is how you like it, to be fair. I've been looking forward to this because it's given me something to do, to be fair. Oh, that's, that's always good. Oh, I mean, we obviously had um, listeners wanting to hear more about what we were going on in our personal lives. First, obviously, shared his flat pack furniture adventures. Um, I could run everyone through my current workout routine but, or what brand of coffee I'm like getting involved in, but I'll just stick to what I'm watching. All or Nothing series on Amazon. Just finished Arizona Cardinals. Next up, Carolina Panthers. Uh, guys, anything of interest happened to you, you both this week? Um, not really, if I'm honest, it's been quite, I mean, I don't know if anyone's noticed or anything, or if anyone's told you, but, you know, it's coming home. Oh, God. <laughs> it, <might laughs> be. it looks favourable. I mean, I'm not jumping the gun, I'm not, like, you know, jump, but it, it might actually be coming home, you know. I, I, I mean, I'm not an expert, but it looks like it might be. It, it might be, it might be. I mean, at the time of recording, it might be, I mean... In a couple of days, people might be laughing, but we'll see. Ukraine, we know of from last week, are a very solid... Is it last week? Week before? Week before, sorry. Are an absolutely incredible team. Um, yeah, managed by Andrei Shevchenko. So never underestimate them. No, never true. Very true. Very true. So with that, we're going to head straight into the newsroom and see what the latest is at Stamford Bridge. <laughs> So another week has flown by, listeners. It was another week full of top quality gossip, nonsense and in the no accounts dropping tweets about those potential signings with some news sprinkled in. So I think it's time for a, a quick transfer roundup. Chelsea are one of the clubs looking at AS Roma's Leonardo Spinozola. Conor Gallagher will be reporting back for pre-season training around July the 5th and he hopes to stay at Chelsea this season. Thomas Tuchel really wants to see Ruben Loftus-Cheek in training this pre-season. Inter Milan have set a minimum asking price of €100 million Euros for Romelu Lukaku amid the interest from ourselves. And only an exceptional offer apparently would have to be made for negotiations to even begin. 
Chelsea told Manchester City that Rhys James is not for sale because he's an integral part of their first team plans. Chelsea are very interested in signing Wolves attacker Adama Traore. He could be between 20 and 25 million. Abramovich believes he'll convince Dortmund to sell Erling Haaland this summer as the negotiations with the club continue. Villa's move for Tammy Abraham is not imminent. Chelsea have a 40 million valuation on him and that's apparently out of Villa's budget. And finally, Chelsea will start pre-season training on Monday the 5th of July. Players including Conor Gallagher, Loftus-Cheek, Trevor Chalaba, Dujon Sterling, Mumbai Amber, Gui, Ambrosia are expected to be given opportunities to impress Tuchel. Uh, a quick shout out there as well to Heston Mims with their track, Be Right Back, which accompanied our roundup there. Uh, any thoughts on any of those fun and wild pieces of news, guys, you've heard? Um, I mean, th- there's a lot to unpack there, so I'm not going to go through everything. I'll just pick up Thank a few you. bits. Um, I think this podcast could be two hours long if it was to unpack everything. Um, I think the Reese Jones, the Man City one, is, that, was, that was bloody brilliant, wasn't that, it? That's just a load of rubbish. I don't. I mean, of course, you're going to be interested in Reese James. It's, you know, class managers and class players would always, you know, you always gain interest from any team and in, in any country. So it's obvious that Reese James is a fantastic player. I'm sure a lot of managers and a lot of teams are interested in him, just like Harry Kane and you know, Arsenal are probably interested in Harry Kane, but it doesn't mean he's going to go there. You know what I mean? It's just obviously you're going to be interested in a world class player. I mean, so that's just nonsense. Um, Loftus-Cheek um, took once to look at him. I think, again, I don't see a future at Chelsea for Loftus-Cheek. I could be wrong, but I just feel with the amount of players that are coming in and the quality that we've got now, is he going to get in ahead of Mount? No. Is he going to get in ahead of Havertz? No. Kante? No. Kovacic? No. I suppose you could put Conor Gallagher in this as well. Is he going to get in ahead of any of those? And I don't think they are. Um, both very good players, but are they going to make it and get realistically a lot of game time at Chelsea at the minute I just don't think they are so I think Loftus-Cheek will probably get a transfer away eventually and I think Gallagher will probably have another loan move before probably being shipped on um, as for Haaland that's the one that's seemingly gaining more and more steam as the transfer window goes on we've said in long form that we need a striker, world-class striker whether that be Lukaku or Haaland I don't mind which one we get, but I do think we need one of them. I mean, Havertz, on a side note, has been fantastic in the Euro, so he has proved that he can play as that strike if we need to. But I do think that it'll be a lot of pressure for Havertz to play in a position all season that he's actually still getting used to. I think if we want to challenge for the title, we do need Lukaku or, or Haaland, to be honest. So that's my quick roundup of all the, uh, all the gossip anyway. Chris? Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think Berth has summed all that up perfectly with <laughs> Uh, the one I would say is the uh, the Spinazzola one. Is uh, we we spoke last week, didn't we, about missing out on Hakimi and mm. uh, still needing someone for that position? And he could be a good shout actually. Um, he's had he had a good season at Roma. He's had a good Euros for Italy so far. He's been playing left wing back, but he's actually right footed. So playing right wing back would be natural to him. I don't th- I don't think that would be a problem. And I as I pretty much stated last week, I'd rather have him than Adama Traore. Yeah, it's, it's a yeah, fair shout. Yeah. I mean, the Reese James thing, I laugh about it. I mean, it's just one of, it's okay, you've put him on the list. We could put Kevin De Bruyne there. We could put Phil Foden. Uh, we could even put Yao Cancelo. But it, it's, I, 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 I don't get why that got leaked out because it comes, at, even if it, you could say, oh, it's just, it's banter. Well, it's not going to be banter. It's going to be of genuine interest. And he's, he's a class player, of course. 
but you just think I don't get where you're coming from with this. It's absolutely ridiculous. There's no way a homegrown player, especially one of Reese James's personality and calibre, is going to even look at Manchester City. It's not going to happen. The same way we would say if Arsenal, Chelsea, Liverpool, or whatever um, said that they were interested in like Phil Foden, local guy. It's just not going to happen. It's just so stupid. Um, the one thing we mentioned, obviously, lost his cheek last week with his potential moves to the Serie A. I, I think his time has come at Chelsea. I've already said that. It's a shame. Haaland, that just keeps going on and on and on. And on. Um, we'll probably be talking more about him next week when I've got uh, a special guest on just to chat more about Haaland's career so far. I thought that might help some listeners considering we know about him now, but just to hear a broader history of the, uh, the incredible Norwegian. Uh, the one that stands out for me is probably going to be Adama Traore because a few, a year ago, he was quoted at £100 million by Wolves for Manchester City and Liverpool when they're interested. I think 20 or £25 million isn't bad. I, I, I think that's quite cheap in the current market for a player. of. He's clearly got calibre. He's shown his Premier League qualities. Yes, he has his downsides. But for 20 to £25 million, that's not a big fee, especially with our budget. And considering Premier League proven, how he's played, that's, that's how I sort of see it. I mean, the whole Wolves team last season had an absolute down period, probably because they lost Jimenez and obviously everything else that affected the club. I quite like him. Whether he'd be, a, a, would he be better than Hakimi? Well, probably not. But then again, Hakimi looks like he's going to be on 300 grand at PSG and 70 million odd. I mean, that could blow our hard budget out of the wind, wind, the water. We'd have been gutted if that had been the case, especially one for. Thing, a, go on. Sorry, sorry, sorry. One thing I would say about Adama Troy, right? And yeah, 20 million, 25 million is probably very good for him because I think he is, as a wing back, which is where I'm presuming we'd, we'd play him because I don't think Tucker would like him further up the pitch. I think he'd like him at wing back. Does that show that he doesn't actually have much faith in Hudson Adoy? Is it a Hudson Adour replacement, possibly, as well as, as a fallback option? I don't know because I feel that Hudson Adour at wing back probably would give you more than a Dharma Troyer, right? Because I think, other than speed and, and strength, I think Hudson Adour is probably has a better footballing brain than a Dharma Troyer. I think he's technically much better. He has still got the pace, he's still quite strong, he's got that low central gravity. I think he's actually really good at tracking players back. Um, I think. His crossing's better than a Dharma race, to be honest. And I just think that I don't think you need to necessarily... If you're going for a Dharma I don't think you need to buy him because I think it would just be a waste of money when you've already got Hudson Adoyu has already paid for us at wing-back, already done a good job for us at wing-back, and he's potentially a better option at wing-back than a Dharma I just feel it'd be a bit of a waste of money. Um, so so I think we should actually shy away from, from the Traore move, to be honest. That's my view anyway. I, I, I can totally see your point. I sort of am starting to fall into the side of I feel that Tuchel's made his calls on certain players. Mm. And I think looking at last season, how Hudson Odoi came in, but also was taken out. And obviously there's the infamous substituting him off. I think that was, I think a lot of was too much was made of that. I don't think it was the, oh, look at this. He, he doesn't, he didn't like the attitude on the pitch. He took him off. And I think that is appropriate because at the end of the day, you give everything on that pitch, obviously, depending if you've got injuries or whatever, but you give everything. And he didn't like the approach that Hudson Odoi took. But sometimes you do think, has that cemented an opinion with Tuckaway's thought, I can't rely on this player? 
it, it'd be interesting. It'd be very interesting pre-season as well, how he tinkers with the side. Um, any closing thoughts on that, Chris? Uh, well, my main problem with the Traore move is I think if you look at our squad now, it's it's quite a deep squad anyway. I don't think we need squad players. I think this summer should have been, and hopefully still will be, just about bringing in players who improve the starting eleven. And Adama Traore definitely doesn't do that. So do we need any more squad players? Like if we're going to, even if Hudson-Odoi was to leave, just picking up on that point, do we need to replace him? How many appearances did he make last season? Hardly any. So we didn't need we didn't need him last season. So if he was to leave, it's not like we need to replace him in the squad. The squad's still deep enough as it is. I think we, we needed to really focus this summer on just improving the starting eleven, and that is a centre forward and maybe a right wing back. Then you can yeah. talk about you can talk about centre midfield now replacing Gilmore. I would say we probably do need now another centre midfielder because going the whole season with only three would be difficult unless he's planning on playing Mount there. But unless you're bringing in players who are going to improve that starting eleven, I just don't see the point because we just end up stuck with players who then we can't get rid of. Bakayoko, Danny Drinkwater, Ross Barkley. All of these players was brought in, didn't improve the starting eleven, and now we're really struggling to move them on and still paying them big wages. So I just don't see those moves as worthwhile. Just to not not to not to rip your opinion here. Uh, last season, I know some listeners are going say it say it was actually his. He made the most appearances for Chelsea in a single season last year. <laughs> yeah, he hit 37. Previously was uh, 19 and 20 when he hit 33. The year before that was 24. The year before that was four. But I don't know. It's so strange. It he's played more games obviously last season, yet he feels further out of the picture. Yeah, I think a lot of those appearances, though, was subs, probably, subs, yeah. subs and like, probably 15 minutes, 10 minutes, mm, yeah. you know, appearances don't really count. Yeah, we had this with Foden, didn't we, where he got substitute appearances, and we're like, that doesn't count for the that award. He got, Mount got robbed, Rice got robbed, which they yeah. did. It's true. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much, I think we've said it all there. Uh, yeah. Before we get into our main, main section of this episode, that interview, uh, Chris dropped a banger of an idea this week, and that was alternatives to Romelu Lukaku or Erling Haaland if we couldn't sign either of them this summer. So that, that, that I think that deserves a, a round of applause for Chris, because that was a very good suggestion. Yeah, I don't... <laughs> so starky, that. <laughs> yeah, it deserves that. Not, not in a starky way. But um, I've got my choices, and it will be open. I've just scratched up Andre Silva, because he's moved to Leipzig. But I, I didn't actually pick him. But... Um, It'll be open and free discussion because that's just how we roll in the off-season. Chris, it was your suggestion to us, but uh, who do you have in mind? Well, I'll tell you one thing that I did find out researching for this. The market for strikers outside of them two is very slim. There's not many around. And aside from them two, and obviously Harry Kane, but I think we've all accepted now that that wouldn't happen. You're not going to get anyone of the quality of Lukaku or Haaland. It's going to be almost a stopgap player that you're bringing in. Someone who improves us now, but isn't world-class and isn't going to make us title contenders for five years, you know, like Haaland or Lukaku would. So my choice, I think, would be uh, Andrea Bellotti. And the reason for that is... He's a he's a fighter, but like 
He likes going up against centre-backs. He likes winning free kicks. He's very uh, Diego Costa-esque. He's got less attitude than Costa. He's not that sort. But in terms of bullying defenders and liking the physical side of the game, that's what Bellotti likes. His goal-scoring record for Torino is really good, 15, 16 and 13 in the last three seasons. And that is in a poor Torino side as well, who he carries. So he's a very good finisher. He has a 56% shot conversion over his career, which is up there with the best. So he'd be, he'd be my choice. And he'd come relatively cheap, I imagine. I mean, I could cry because you pretty much said everything I wrote down. Um, yeah, <laughs> Torino, Torino, thank you, thank you. I do value your opinion very much. I genuinely mean that as well. Um, Torino finished 17th in the Serie A. That's, yes, that's one space above the relegation zone. They weren't great, and Bellotti did carry them. I mean, I wrote down that he's cheap and he can score goals. That's so obvious. I mean, I know I do love that one season he had a few years ago, but I'm not living in the past. He hit, obviously, in that 16-17, 26-35, and as you said, 15-16-13. and 13. It's still, you know, we know he can score, and his style is very aerial, you know, and he's got a good work rate as well, which is always important. You know, especially an eye for goal would help, considering how our strikers didn't seem to have an eye for goal last season. Um, but he can hold the ball up as well and sort of link teammates, which I think we could thrive off, considering that, not quite false nine, but you could have getting the ball to Werner, back to it. I think it could work quite well. I I, I think it could. Um, did you have him down berth or any thoughts on him? No, I mean, I actually had a Mobile down instead of Bellotti, because I feel that no one's ever really linked with a Mobile. And I just feel that he is someone that will just... A Mobile is not a player that will make goals himself or he won't sort of he's just he's a very much a poacher when he gets mm-hmm. a chance he will score and i think that's almost what we've been missing he's very abraham like i think yeah. and i just think if, we, if we're getting rid of abraham we need to replace him with someone who's very similar but is more a bit more mobile excuse the pun um on a one-year more, deal because he's over thirty. yeah, yeah that's how just, we work yeah just sort of like, like chris said a stopgap mm-hmm. um who's probably better on the ball than, than Abraham, just a bit a bit less wasteful than Abraham. So I just think it, it might be a good stopgap. If not Immobile, then maybe someone like, again, another stopgap like a Danny Ings, who's Premier League proven, technically fantastic. Yeah, yeah, he's got a few injury problems, but I think if you look at his goal-scoring record, it's actually really good for Southampton. Um, he performs really well against the big teams. So, you know, why not go for someone like Danny Ings, you know, just to just to get goals for us? Because if he stays fit, he'll get 15, 20 goals a season for us, without I, doubt. I do love that shout with Danny Ings, 100%. With CO, Kiro, Kiro Mobley, the problem is, is the question mark will be, can he only do it in the Serie A? Because, well, in Italy, I mean... Yeah, because he, he didn't do it for Dortmund, did he? No, I, I, I admit that. Awesome, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. His, his best goal-scoring seasons, and this one, you've got to take the pinch of salt, 28 and 37 with Piscara. That was in Serie B. Uh, Torino, he hit 22 in 33. Went to Dortmund after that incredible season. Didn't do much. Went to Sevilla. Didn't do much. Went back to Torino. Got five in 14. Um, This is all league. This is all the league. And then Lazio, he's obviously went 23, 29, 15, 36, 20. And you do start to think, is it only in the Serie A? I mean, obviously, he's absolutely ripping it up at the Euros and fair play to him. But you do start to 
concern yourself. A bit like yeah. Andre Silva. Chris mentioned this, uh, I don't know if it was last week or the week before. Andre Silva is always going to have that question mark. Can he do it in another league? I mean, yeah. he's staying yeah. in the Bundesliga now, so he'll probably be all right. And, you know, but ooh, I, I don't know. I don't know on Immobile. Uh, Chris, thoughts on Immobile? Uh, very good player. Movements, top class. And like Berth said, he is a poacher in and around the box. But his link play is actually really good as well. My only problem with Immobile, I, I will just touch on what you said about his early career wasn't great. But mm. I think he's one of those players who he's matured later than people expected. Yeah. Yeah. And I think sometimes people do forget that. They'll always throw back poor seasons, at, at, especially at strikers. But sometimes some strikers don't hit their prime till 28. Yeah, like Luca Tony, another Italian. Patrick Bamford is a prime example. Yeah, that's uh, a crazy one, isn't it? Someone who gets wrote off, oh, the Premier League's too good for him, this and that, and then under a different coach, different style of play, it works. And maybe that's just what a mobile needs, just the right manager, right team, yeah. and, and it just clicks. That's all a striker ever needs, I feel. Because mm, at the end of the day, every, every striker knows where the goal is, but some just don't work. You look at Harry Kane in, that England, in this England team at the moment, he isn't getting anywhere near as many chances as he does for Tottenham. Yeah. It's exactly. just we play differently. But in that Tottenham team, he gets goals all day long. And it's just, I feel that as a striker, you need the right team and the right manager just to get the full potential out of you. Yeah, I think a, I would yeah. say, sorry, Mark, okay, about Immobile as well, he does work very well in a, in, a front, in like a front three system where the two wide players come and play close to him. If you look at what Italy are doing at the moment, they've got their wing-backs high like we do, and their two forwards are playing as inside forwards. And Immobile is very intelligent at dropping off into space and allowing those players to then make runs off him. The only problem I have is he I don't think he would come cheap. And oh, God, no. He only signed a deal last year. If he's, not, yeah. if, he's, if he's only a stopgap player, then do you want to be paying, I, I would imagine, 50 to 70 million for a stopgap player, probably not, which is a shame because I do think he would be potentially really good. I mean, he's got four years left in his current deal. Uh, he only recently renewed it last season. He's over 30. We're not saying they're over the hill at 30, not at all, but our club have a policy with the players over 30. Uh, high fee. It's, it, it's a nice, it's a great idea. I, it just won't happen because we know our club. We, we know what our club's about. Mm, yeah. um, in the thumbnail for YouTube, if you're listening on YouTube, I did put Patrick Schick in. Uh, I'm not picking him. I've done some cheeky clickbait there. He's the kind of the Milan Barosh of the Euros at the moment. Top player for the Czech Republic this tournament. But long term, no, I don't think he quite has the pedigree currently to suggest he would have that 20 goal a season campaign that we need. Uh, his Bundesliga campaigns have been 9 in 29 and 10 in 22. So mm. uh, if we keep to the Premier League theme, though, and stand by the thoughts that they know the league already mantra, which we all love to use, why not Dominic Calvert-Lewin? You know, last two campaigns, he's netted 13 and 16. Very good in the air, can finish. Negatives are kind of his passing, not the best. Uh, Tuckle obviously favours that ball to feet style. Not often do you kind of see he'd hoof it for 90 minutes. Um, so that's probably maybe why Giroud didn't get as many minutes under Tuckle. A- any thoughts on DCL? I actually think that's a great shot. I didn't really think about him. Uh, I don't think he'd be cheap. Um, I think. I, th- I think you're looking at 50 to 70 million for him as well. Um, but I think. Oh, that's a lot of money. <laughs> I, I do, I, but I do think, with him being English, I do just think you'll be looking at that much money for him because he's still not that old. Um, and his potential is ridiculous. I think the problem with us, would he suit our style of play? Yeah. And we do like to pass it about a lot. We don't get many crosses into the box. 
and not as direct as a lot as Everton. So would we suit how he plays? Probably not. So yeah, it looks good on paper, but would it actually work? I don't know. I'm not too sure. But he's a fantastic player, and I don't think I've seen anyone leap as high as him since Ronaldo. Yeah, that's true, actually, Chris. Yeah. He is a very good player. Um, I think Ancelotti really improved him in terms of his movement inside the box. He scored 16 goals last year and every single one of them was inside the box. So he could be that player who's there to finish off the chances we create because a lot of the times we do put balls across the box and there's no one stood in there to tap Mm -hmm. it in. But the only thing that I think would hold him back, especially under Tuchel, would be he isn't great outside of the penalty area. His link Mm -hmm. play isn't great. His touch isn't great. He's very good in the air, but we don't really go long that often. He could be an option, but again, it's just the price. I just think for the price, you're not getting someone. I don't think he is better than Tammy Abraham. I think if Ooh. you put Tam, I think if you put Tammy Abraham in that Everton team, he would get as many goals as Calvert Lewin, playing every week. I think uh, Abraham's a better finisher than Calvert Lewin, if I'm honest. Yeah, I think he's a better all-round player. I, I think Abraham. Again, sometimes outside of the penalty box, he isn't that good. But I have seen him link better than I've seen Calvert-Lewin link the play. So mm. I just I, I do think sometimes, especially with the Abraham situation, I don't know what's gone on there with him and Tuchel. But if Haaland falls through and Lukaku falls through, you've got to think, all these players we're talking about, you've got to just look at it and think, it might just be worth giving Abraham a shout again. Oh, yeah, yeah. agreed, agreed. I think that's that's exactly spot on. You, you But with the signing, you always pay an English premium. It's just kind of a fact. You know, obviously we did with Ben Chilwell. And fun fact, which will make us all depressed. Um, before Ben Chilwell, can you remember who our most expensive English player was? Uh, it's not Sean Wright Phillips. Storage? Oh. No, it wouldn't be storage. You don't want to free, didn't we? Yeah, this, 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 that, this proves how great this player was. 35 million. Oh, Danny drink water. Yeah, exactly. Oh. Oh. <laughs> it's like, yay. Um, are we going to yeah, make I mean, any money here? Nope. Yeah. That, oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, dear. I remember when we all got excited over that. Well, not all of us, but some of us on social got excited when he joined on deadline day. It's like, in hindsight, yeah, maybe that. I still have, I still have nightmares about that transfer. Oh, it, it's, it's one of them. It's, this works. This is where we've got to be careful, though, I think. Yeah, yeah. The people we're going after are not easy deals to get done. And I think if they don't get done, just don't sign anybody. I'd rather not sign anyone than just sign someone for the sake of signing them. Yeah, it's controversial to say it, but it's very, very understandable. You know, how many players have we bought for like 20 plus million? I think of Baba Rahman. We never used him. Juan Cuadrado never used him. Um, Zappa Costa, I think, cost over 20. Yeah, I think it's 22. Um, didn't use him. You, you don't want just players that are going to sit on the bench. It's not squad players that aren't even going to get in the squad. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty accurate. Um, obviously, this week, I had a chance to sit down and uh, chat with someone who writes some banging articles over on First Time Finish, and that's Tom Underhill. He wrote yet another banger this time on AS Monaco midfielder and someone who Chelsea are looking at, Aurelian Chouameni. So we talked all about why we should get excited about this young lad. 
I'm joined now by a top writer in the world of football. He drops banger after banger over on First Time Finish, which is a website you should all be checking out. So welcome to the pod, Tom Underhill. How are you doing, dude? <laughs> Thank you very much. That's a, as warm a, an entrance <laughs> as I could wish to as I could wish to get. No, I'm good, mate. I'm very good. I was just uh, just saying I'm just waiting for my vocal cords to calm down after uh, after the the mighty England victory. But no, good. Excited to uh to shed some light on this uh, player we're going to talk about today. Fantastic stuff, yeah. Just after the England result, which I, I must admit I didn't expect to actually happen, but hey, finishing top of your group isn't so bad, is it, England fans? Yeah. Um, so you are someone I've obviously wanted on our show for a while, and this was obviously the perfect time to bring you on. You wrote about the inside story of Aurelian Shuameni, a player embodying the generation of tomorrow, as you called it. Uh, it's a huge statement, but he's a huge <laughs> talent. Um, can you give us some background on the young French star and how he started off his career with Bordeaux? Yeah, so he was uh, he was born in 2000. So he's kind of part of a kind of five-year kind of five-year radius that includes the likes of uh, Marcus Taram, um, Christopher Nkunku, uh, Kylian Mbappe, uh, Kingsley Coman, those sort of players. But whereas those players all kind of came through the the Clairefontaine Academy, he was very much more of a, a kind of regional youth prospect. His dad played for Bordeaux. Um, they, he was born in the north of France, but they moved to Bordeaux, um, and uh, yeah, kind of started playing from a from a younger from a young age, and uh, he uh, was kind of quickly pushed into the the B team at around the age of about eighteen, um, where he was coached by Philip Lucas, who was the the source, the manager that I spoke to for the uh, for the article, and uh, Philip was a uh, part of the nineteen ninety six Bordeaux team that. Uh, played Bayern Munich in the UEFA Cup final. Uh, incredible team that had the likes of uh, uh, Christophe Dugary, um, Lizzo Razou, Zidane. Uh, so he kind of he knows what he's talking about. Basically, he's a he's a he's a wise head. And uh, yeah, that was where those pa those paths first crossed. And um, yeah, similarly, it was kind of a year behind uh, Jules Kunde as well. Obviously now of uh, the French national team and uh, Sevilla. Looks like he could get a, a massive move this. This summer he was uh, he's three years older than um, three years older, two years older than uh, than Chuamani, but uh, uh, Philippe sort of coached them at the same time. And whereas Kunde is a very natural um, talent, I think uh, we've we've got a piece. Don't want to spoil too much. We do have a piece coming out on Kunde very soon. Um, whereas Kunde is a very uh, natural talent, graceful on the ball, and uh, Philippe said he's the the most talented centre back he's ever worked with. Um, Chiumeni was more of a, a kind of clearly a talented boy, but yet to really, really catch the eye at a young age. He, he's kind of a player who's developed as he's as he's gone through as he's gone through his two different clubs and played through the French uh, youth setup. So yeah, that was kind of his uh, his early introduction to uh, to football at Bordeaux. Yeah, I mean, you you mentioned the Clairefontaine Academy. I think that's where everyone feels where the best French players come from, because obviously you've got the likes of former Chelsea players. Anelka, and obviously, technically, he might be former if he does leave. Uh, Olivier Giroud, Thierry Henry, of course. I mean, some incredible names. William Gallas as well. And obviously, more more in the spotlight now, Kylian Mbappe. But there are other places where a lot of good French talent is is nurtured and brought to the uh, the foreground. And I feel it doesn't get as much of... Um, it doesn't get the notoriety as Clairefontaine. It is such a shame, really, because these academies work so hard. And, you know, they're clearly producing top-tier talent. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's the case that the um, the Clairefontaine Academy only takes a, a select number every year. So I, I, I'm not sure entirely what the number is, but it could be anywhere between 20 and 40. 
in which case you're you are going to you know very much limit the the type of player and the the, the scope of player that you can call up at one point you're going to get this these you know these really rare talents that do slip through the slip through the net um you know for every marcus taram and uh christopher and kunku for example who came through together they're very good friends um you've got the likes of roman favre who's at Brest at the moment who's a fantastic uh, mercurial player like uh, technically outstanding perhaps not the most disciplined kind of player maybe that might be where you might start seeing what players fall through the cracks and which don't but then equally you, you know jules kunde is looking like he could easily be one of the one of the best centre backs of the next decade, and he didn't make it. He he didn't get called up for the you know for Clairefontaine. I don't believe Upper Makanu did. Um, Canate certainly didn't. So you, you've got all sorts of players who just for whatever reason, be it because they're not close to Paris, I think that plays a, a huge part in it. Yeah. Um, just happens to just find another route, and I think it just it can only be good for the for the game and producing a generation of of players like France have that they do have different routes. Yeah, for sure. I mean, obviously, in January of 2020, he left Bordeaux for a respectable figure, 16 million, headed to Monaco, uh, a place known for producing and nurturing some incredible talents as well themselves. Um, how do you feel he adapted to that new, well, his new side? And what did Robert Kovac add to Shuameni's game? Yeah, so he um, he came in in, in February, uh, sorry, January, like you said. Um, and obviously, the, the league on season was cut short in March and wasn't resumed. So, he only really had two months, like one and a half to two months of actually being with them, that Monaco side. Now, that Monaco side was at the time under um, Robert Moreno, who had come in after, uh, I believe it was ja uh, Leonardo Jardim's second spell, I think. You might need to quote me on that. <laughs> um, so yeah, that sounds about right. I remember Jardim coming in and then out and then back in again. Yeah, that's kind of the weird like Thierry Henry kind of uh, sandwich between the two um, Jardim eras. Um, and they weren't in a particularly good state. They were... Um, they were kind of like lowly in the table at the time. Uh, they finished ninth that season, but Chiumeni only played three times in those kind of two months, and all of them were off the bench. Um, so they finished ninth. They sacked Mourinho and they brought in Nico Kovac, who um, is a very interesting, a very interesting figure in the sense that his reputation uh, was at a very lowly state. Bearing in mind his last job was with <laughs> was with Bayern Munich and won the Bundesliga. Like, it's a very strange kind of um, a reason it for him that he just he just didn't work out for him there. Whether it's, it's his name wasn't big enough. Um, it, it just didn't work out from there. So he kind of moved to moved to Monaco, which is the perfect place for him to rebuild, to rebuild his image, and just immediately set about putting faith, continuing the faith that the likes of Henri and Jardim had placed in these young players. So Romain Favre, who we spoke about earlier, he was there for. I think it was Thierry Henry who gave him his debut. Um, Benoit Badiashile, another one, um, and obviously Chouameni became immediately part of uh, Moreno's plans. And he immediately kind of um, he instated him and uh, Fafana as the kind of the two central midfielders, which is a a big kind of uh, statement of intent when you've got Cesc Fabregas kind of sitting behind him. It's been very easy for him to kind of fall back on Fabregas's uh, kind of experience, his wiliness, particularly playing in the French league, where perhaps Fabregas's legs might not have been tested as much as they were in the Premier League. It would have been very easy for for Kovac to lean on that, but no, he went straight with um, with Fafana and Chouameni. And then over the course of the season, uh, Chouameni played more minutes than any Monaco player, despite it being really his kind of like made a, a push third full season as a senior player. Um, it was quite an incredible show of faith, really. Hmm. I mean, how how do you think he's impacted the national team side of his game? I mean, of course, he was part of the incredibly talented under 21 French side who recently got knocked out the under 21 Euros by Netherlands. 
how did the midfielder stand out in that side? Which is again, it's it's going to be difficult because it's full of such such good talent. Yeah, I mean he's a Chiumeni is a very a naturally eye catching player anyway. Um, he's sort of he's six foot. You know, he's only he's only he's only twenty one years old, but he's he's well over six foot. He's quite broad. He's a very elegant player on the ball. He kind of he has that Paul Pogba thing about him. He's not he's not like Paul Pogba as a player, but he has a kind of a Pogba esque. Uh, characteristic whereby the ball does seem to kind of slow down in in slow motion as it gets to him. He has complete time on the ball, um, which naturally makes your eye drawn to him when you watch him. Um, and that that under twenty one team that that lost that game, I think that that featured a midfielder had um, it had a uh, Bubakari Samare, who's obviously at uh, Lille, soon to be a Leicester player by all accounts. Um, had Hussam Awa in it as well. Awa kind of playing a, a kind of rogue left left midfield of a. A kind of midfield trident behind Odson Edward. It was quite a strange position for him. Um, didn't have the best game, but Chuameni was, um, I, I think, was was their best player that day. Um, they they held the ball very nicely, and they they their combinations worked very well. But they just couldn't break through it. Edward missed a few chances. Awa missed a few chances. Um, but their kind of midfield play was really impressive in linking up with the full with the fullbacks. And Chuameni was just, yeah, it was really a really great performance that day. Um, he. He is he's very accustomed to playing in a two, um, mostly because he's played as a, in like a four-four-two with um with Monaco with two very like explosive wingers. So he's kind of used to sitting and being responsible for his space. And he kind of he naturally drifts in possession. He kind of naturally drifts over to the kind of in in line with the right half space, but quite deep in the opposition half. Um, and he just he dictates play from there beautifully. Like he he switches the ball very quickly. He's a he's a very much like a heads up type player. He he very he doesn't look for the sideways pass. He looks up for for like a long diagonal to the opposition to the opposite uh, fullback. Um, and yeah, he, he he had a really he played a really nice game that day and probably deserved to be on the winning team. I mean, he's obviously he's such a talent and he's he's naturally he's been linked to his next big move in his career. Um, Chelsea, of course, on that list of clubs linked, and it, it's a big question. But how do you feel he could fit in with the current side that's playing under Thomas Tuchel? Um, I think if if he was to come in as a starter, I think his his style of play would would fit very nicely. He kind of encompasses a bit of everything that Chelsea have in their three kind of go-to midfielders at the moment. He's got the ball-winning ability of Kante. He's got the kind of the he doesn't he doesn't use it enough, but he does have the ability to break the lines like like uh, Kovacic does, um, and he's very very composed and calm on the ball like like Jorginho is. So I feel like you could use arguably any combination of him with any one of those midfielders, and you would gain something from it. Um, he I don't think he he in truth he could probably do with another year maybe two of of you know Monaco and Champions League this season. Um, so to have him playing at that level maybe for a year could really benefit him. Um, but I think if you were to sign him this year, his price is only going to go up. So if you were to spend the rumours kind of 40 million on him this summer, it might save you having to spend 70 or 75 next season. Um, his, yeah, I think I think the, the thing that most impresses me and would work in a kind of Premier League midfield is his, his ball winning ability. Like he's making over six tackles and interceptions a game, which is a freakish amount like you just don't see that like Kante is seen as an absolute high watermark for you know for those metrics and yet he's even just below six yet Chiumeni's around the 6.1 mark which is in the top one percent of all center and defensive midfielders around Europe but he he is an absolute standout performer in that in that aspect whether that would transfer to the Premier League well 
it's only even if it came down by you know two if it came down to four tackles and interceptions a game as a result of playing in a slightly more physical league that's still a very very impressive uh, kind of game by game output so yeah I, th- I think I think he would fit perfectly within this team and used to playing in midfield too having win backs either side of him that would protect him I, I think it would work very well I mean, for me, maybe I'm naive to say this, but I feel that he could form that incredible partnership alongside in a three with N'Golo Kante. But then I'd worry he could simply be the backup to Jorginho or Kovacic. And he has the talent there and he doesn't need to be sat on the bench. He really doesn't. I mean, am I right with that assumption with the Kante partnership or has he shown that he could also prove my other assumption wrong and displace Kovacic and Jorginho and cement a starting place? I mean, you're not wrong on either count, really. Like his 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 partnership with Yusuf Fofana at Monaco at the moment could very much mirror what he, if he were to play with Kante. I mean, uh, Fofana is a bit more kind of physically imposing than Kante, but he's still smaller than Chouameni, and they 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 both compare very favourably with each other when it comes to their ball winning ability. But Fofana is far more of a presser. Like he presses with a lot more intensity and a lot more success than Chouameni does. Um, and Fofana is also a more successful tackler. I think it's a, I saw he won 80 of his 97 tackles last season, which is just a remarkable tackle success rate. And that having someone like that next to him would only hold him in good stead for having for having someone like Kante next to him. So yeah, I think that'd be it would be that would be an incredibly exciting midfield duo. As for displacing Kovacic and Jorginho, I guess it kind of depends on the the game situation and the the op- and the uh, the opposition they're playing against, but. His ceiling is is higher than both of those players. Like as an individual player, whether he'll go on to win the things that Kovacic has, I'm not sure because again that depends on the teams he's playing in. But his ceiling is higher than both of them, and he's certainly more talented player than both of them. I'm I'm a big Kovacic fan, but Chuameni as a as a as a talent could definitely play at a higher level and more frequently in the best teams than Kovacic ever has. So yeah, I don't. I, he certainly could. Whether it happened within his first season, or whether it be a case of spending a season kind of acclimatizing in, kind of the odd uh, substitute appearance and playing in cup games, might be the best way to go about it. But like you say, it would it would be a shame because if he were to stay at Monaco for another season, he would be playing Champions League football and would be a guaranteed starter week in week out. And one can only think that that is can will be massively beneficial for his for his growth and fulfilling that potential. Yeah, I mean, I hate to see a young, talented player just sit on the bench. I mean, I remember Alexander Nubel of Schalke when he moved yeah. from Schalke to Bayern. And I, I understood why you would do the move. It's Bayern Munich. But I just thought, you're so young and you need to play. And he went from obviously playing four seasons for Schalke to four games last season for Bayern. And it's such a shame. And, you know, I look at Aurelian. And I look at his, his he, he, you're right, I was going to ask his ceiling. It's it's so high. I mean, you look at what he won this year. He got Young Player of the Year. He was in the team of the season in Ligue 1. And the last few players from Monaco that won said award, you got the likes of Henri, Trezeguet, Philippe Christenbaugh, which, yeah, it's a <laughs> bit of a, a not, the, not the best choice there. But And then obviously Patrice Evra and Kylian Mbappe. Some huge names, some absolute huge names. I mean... Do you think he's going to be the next big star of the French national side? And a two-part question, really. And obviously, if he doesn't move to Chelsea, where do you feel he sh- his next move should be? Uh, so to answer your first question, I'm, whether he'll be the star of this French team is unsure, because partly because the, the depth of talent they have in attacking areas of players of a similar age to him and will be playing in the team with him is so extortionate that um, 
you imagine that anyone would always be overshadowed by him, uh, by them. You know, you've got, like I say, Mbappe and Kunku. And Kunku hasn't even been capped by France yet, which is just staggering. Um, you've got Taram, Osman um, Dembele. He's obviously been hot and cold, but he's still of a similar age. Um, Romain Favre, like, the, it's endless. The list of exceptional young talents of a similar age to too many. So I doubt whether he'll be the star of it. I could see, I could see him fulfilling the kind of, if they're going to continue in a similar vein of having a midfield pivot, and we don't even know if Deschamps is going to continue in the job, but let's say he does, Chouameni would likely fill the Pogba kind of role when Pogba either phases out or isn't playing. He's, when I spoke to Philippe, he, he described him as his rare, his rarest talent was this box-to-box kind of ideal, this sort of thing that you only receive from like um, Frankie de Jong, Ryan Gravenberg, um, Jude Bellingham. But at the moment, Chouameni isn't quite that. He's not quite box-to-box. When he, when he does decide to get forwards, like, he scored a brilliant goal against Saint Etienne in I think it was around January, where he kind of um, drove the ball forward, laid out to the to the fullback. They cut it back, and he absolutely crunched it past the keeper, like with untold ferocity. And you look at him, and you think, well, he he has the talent to do that more. He's not quite there yet. He's he's definitely more of a defensive uh, kind of minded midfielder at the moment. Um, whether that side of his game develops, it certainly has the potential to. And if it does, then he's going to be. He's going to be a player that everyone around Europe will know and will want to uh, have a vested interest in. As for where he could go, it's tough. I mean, I think if he was to go this season, I think Chelsea would be one of the absolute best places he could go. Like to play alongside Kante, where he's got that kind of the things like being able to speak the same language, like in a midfield pairing, it's it's not a very like kind of fashionable thing to say, but it's, it makes it's a massive thing. It's a massive difference for a young player, player like him. Um, I think Chelsea would be great for him, but other than that, I would. God, I don't know. I'm, it'd be a shame to him go to PSG because their kind of their ability to hoover up, hoover up talent is a uh, does take the you know I wouldn't be surprised to see that after losing their league title this year. Mm. Um, who would I like to see him at? Ooh, hard to say. Maybe who knows? Inter Milan maybe. If they if they end up selling some of their if they get some money back from some of their big sales if they could if they could squeeze forty out that they aren't kind of giving back to their owners to pay off their loans. Then yeah, into Milan playing the midfield with kind of with Berea and uh, uh, Stefano Sensi as Brozovic ages out. Yeah, I think that'd be a be a pretty cool place for him. Yeah, I mean that you you spot on the, the amount of that talent in that midfield. I mean, I you can just reel off the midfield names. You've got obviously with Leon, you've got Husamawa, um, Maxence, Kakare, is it? Kakare, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah. Roman Favre, you said uh, Fafana. I mean, he's his Monaco team that he's just as he could be the next big move as well from Monaco. Definitely. And Cam- Camavinga, he's the, obviously the standout name, and he's only 18. Yeah. I mean, amazing talent. I mean, they've really got another generation coming through, and you could see them building potentially. I know it's difficult to say now they've been knocked out of the Euros, but you could see another dynasty on the horizon easily if they get it, if they all click together. I, I would, I would, of course, if he was going to start, I would love him at Chelsea. I really would. But it's that. I don't want to see another talented youth player sit on the bench. We've we signed a few over the years and they've sat on the bench. I mean, Malong Sar, I start to concern myself with at the moment because yeah. he went out on loan, which I understand, but is he going to go out on loan again? And then will it be a third loan, you think? Mm. And then you sell them. And then you sort of feel sad for them, but you also feel what could have been. 
Yeah, so, I, mean, I mean, look at look at Bakayoko, for example. I know yeah. there, are, there are other reasons around that, and like, of course, um, he's a he's a bit obviously like quite a bit older than um. I think he was twenty. He might have been twenty three when he moved to Chelsea. So mm-hmm. twenty three, twenty four. So he's a bit older than Chouameni. But you know that was a that is that is an exceptionally talented player in there that we saw at Monaco and we've seen at Napoli, and just for whatever reason was just not um not trusted to to develop as part of a starting Chelsea midfield. And I know that was under Conte, so it's a slightly different situation, mm-hmm. but. Yeah, I can I can see why Chelsea fans might be reticent for because it would be a similar feat to what Bakayoko came in on, but um, I think he'd be he'd be the, the closest thing you'd have to Nemanja Matic in his current form, mm-hmm. like that since Matic left, like that kind of he's tall, he's rangy. You you particularly a young Matic when he would when he would pop up and score just terrific goals, like maybe once or twice a season. You think if you could if you could add a little bit more to your attacking game, then you would be a an absolute world beater. I mean, Matic wasn't a defensive sense. But yeah, I think Germany would be the closest thing you've had since uh, Nemanja Matic, really. Yeah, that would be an amazing dream. I mean, it really would. Um, it's it's been a pleasure having you on. Uh, before we end, where can everyone find you on social media and, of course, your articles? Uh, absolute pleasure being on, mate. Um, you can find me on Twitter at TomD underscore Underhill. And then all our articles are at um, firsttimefinish.co.uk or come follow us on Twitter at, at firsttimefinish. We're very close to 4,000 followers, which we kind of picked up in about a six-month period. So very nice. Nicely. And uh, yeah, we've uh, we're doing some good stuff over there. So uh, yeah, it would be uh, would be great to have you come check out our work. That was Tom Underhill, who certainly got me hyped over Chiuameni. Uh Whether we do or don't sign him, of course, is another question. Guys, I'm sure many of us have seen the highlight reels because we always head to YouTube. Uh, what do you think about the French midfielder? Because it, 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 do you think he is a top target or someone we should potentially be avoiding this summer? Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he looks fantastic, brilliant on the ball. Um, but I'm not, I've, look, ever since I watched Bakayoko on YouTube, yeah, I've, yeah. I've refused to sort of get too hyped up about watching someone from YouTube. So, yeah, he looks good. But I'm going to keep my feet firmly on the ground and say, I'll, I'll wait to see how he plays if, if, if we get him before I judge anything because... Bakayoko made me believe he was Patrick Vieira from YouTube. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's pretty fair, Chris. Yeah, I agree with Berth. The only thing that I would say is, I think um, Cesc Fabregas gave him a, a, a sort of glowing review. So yeah. that's something to take into account. But I mean, he's only young. He's had one really good season at Monaco. I think mm. people have to be careful about getting carried away with these players. I've always said you have to give a player at least two seasons. If they're, especially young players, if they're good for two seasons, then we can start getting excited about them being the next this and the next that. But just doing it one season, loads of young players have had a good season and then you've never heard of them again. Yeah, I think that's fair. I I think those are very fair points. I mean, he does look excited and he seems to keep taking steps up and doing well. So... Yeah, I think the two-season rule is very, very accurate. Uh, that's why I'm like, Timo Werner's had a decent season, to be fair, with his stats. Yeah, OK, he hasn't been banging the goals in like we all expected, but some people writing him up after one year. It's like, give him two years. If his goal scoring hasn't returned, then you could worry. But he's still contributing in other ways. Um, we're, we're coming to the end of another episode, but we always have time to answer some listener questions. So we're going to take a look in the mailbag to check out what has been sent into us this week. You've got mail. Hear that, listeners? A new jingle. I do love a good audio transition. 
this week we're going to pull rank and put forward our own question. My own question I asked on the on Twitter this week. Uh, with France's elimination from the Euros, how do you feel, guys, that this affects the campaign for N'Golo Kante to lift the Ballon d'Or? Um, if I'm honest, and this will probably annoy a lot of Chelsea fans, I don't think he ever should have been in the, the picture anyway. Ooh, ooh. Now, hear me out here. Like, <laughs> don't get me wrong, he has been unbelievable that start of the season. Fantastic. But when you look at, like, all round, he hasn't even been Chelsea's best player this season, Mason Mount has. And, you know, we're not talking about if England win the Euros, we're not talking about Mason Mount getting the Ballon d'Or. So what but we should be. We should be, if we're going by the, the Kante logic. But, like, do you see what I mean? Now, I'm not taking anything away from Kante. I'm not saying that you shouldn't get it because I love N'Golo Kante. And in the Champions League for those last four games, he was phenomenal. He was a monster. He was immense. And, he, he you know, in that final, I've never seen a performance like it. And like I've said on previous podcasts, he's, for me, eclipsed Makalele's role at Chelsea and he's eclipsed Makalele at Chelsea. I think he's on another level to them. But I just think for Ballon d'Or, when you look at someone like Lewandowski, you look at someone like a Messi, the seasons they've had individually, yeah, all right, they haven't won um, like the Euros or the World Cup or the Cup of America yet. Messi still might, but I just think as an individual season, which the Ballon d'Or should be really, I think they've just had better seasons. And I think, you know, players at Chelsea probably have better all-round seasons than N'Golo Kante this year. So I love him, but I don't think he should ever have been in the picture, really. Sorry. That's, I know that's, that's gonna no, that's, that's gonna that's, hurt that's gonna hurt a lot of people, but that's just me thinking logically. That's fair enough. I mean, that's fifty percent of our listeners turning off in anger. Yeah, well, <laughs> um, it is what it is. Now to the man who upsets Leeds fans, uh, Chris. What are your thoughts on this uh, this Kante for Ballon d'Or campaign? Well, I I kind of agree with Berth actually, to be honest. Um, oh dear. <laughs> I, because simply because I do think. Kante had a brilliant Champions League campaign for us. And he was very good at the back end of the Premier League season. But again, he didn't have a very good start to the season. And he missed a, he missed a fair chunk of the season as well. The only reason why I thought he was in the conversation for the Ballon d'Or is because during Euro and World Cup years, they do tend to take that into account for the, for the Ballon d'Or. And they do put more emphasis on what players have done in the Champions League more than their domestic league. So like Lewandowski scoring 41 goals in the Bundesliga, you'd think he, that's automatically he's a shoo-in for that. But Bayern didn't perform in the Champions League and that will go against him. And obviously Poland was never going to win the Euros. So that, that holds him back as well. I've, I don't think France getting knocked out has helped him. I think if France had won the Euros, I, I do genuinely think he would have been in with a shout, rightly or wrongly, because of the emphasis UEFA do put on the Champions League, or, uh, FIFA, sorry, do put on the Champions League and then international tournaments when they come round. But I, I do think it should have been Lewandowski last year and they cancelled it. So it's got to be him this year. But then I wouldn't be surprised if they gave it to Messi if he wins the Copa America. You know, yeah. I, yeah. I agree because give it to Ronaldo again probably it'd be one of them too because those are the only two that were allowed to win it apparently. I, I think Lewandowski won the Bundesliga you could go shrug so broke the goal scoring record by Muller 41 and he's been insane he, he deserved it last season so they could go that avenue and think we'll sort of it's almost like sorry you should have won it last year here it is now but he deserves it even more so this year um then you've got the Messi and Ronaldo debate. I think if Messi lifts the Copa America, he's won it instantly because 
he carried Barcelona last season. He really carried him, carried them. Ronaldo did Ronaldo stuff, but he did all right in the Euros. But again, you could just go, well, he didn't, he didn't win it. He didn't lift the Euro. Mm. Do I think that Kante is going to get the Ballon d'Or now? No, I, I don't. I think obviously you've got to take in the second half of the this year because obviously it's a full year that it goes on for. So it could be won and lost in the next half of the year. But I, I think if you're going to put money on it, if Copa America is won by Argentina, Messi's, Messi's your man. But yeah. if it's not, I think Lovendowski. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yeah. I think That's it's as simple as that. Yeah. Um, yeah, with that, we've come to the end of another episode of At The Bridge Pod. So we're going to do our social media plugs and we've got two, two, two people now to give it. So that's always good when Berth's back. We've missed him. Uh, where can we find you, Berth? We'll give you the first honour. Oh, thank you very much. Um, on Twitter, it is at Chris Burford. And on Twitter, I'm at Chris09Adams, and you can find the blog at Pitch Pundits. And you can find myself on Twitter and Instagram as that redhead do. But for all things at the Bridge Pod, you can find us on all the usual social media channels Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Instagram by searching for at the Bridge Pod. You can drop us that like, a follow, keep up to date on all things Chelsea. And of course, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, then leave us that five star review. Helps out, helps build the show, the community. And till next time, listeners, that is us signing off.